Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to the Creep Dive. Welcome to the Creep Dive. Come and have a look. Everybody's listening. Don't open a book. (laughs) Don't question us. Just go with it. Just go with it. Enjoy it. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good time. Correct. Like all the people who were like, sorry, the Amsterdam thing didn't happen. It's like... (laughs) It's still plausible. I it's know. still could. Just let us have it. We need so it. mean. So how are we and what are we packing for today? I'm going to tell you a little bit of gay history. Love my favourite thing to do. Time. Mm. Absolutely love it. I have um, a horrendous story that is truly hard to believe about a kidnapping. Oh. oh okay. Well, Jen spoke for an hour straight on the hive so if you want that that's already out there (laughs) (laughs) do you want to kick us off i'll tell you a little bit about uh the fascinating history of the mafia in new york and how pivotal they were in gay rights this is interesting it's super interesting it's a very unlikely partnership so let's go back to new york LGBT community in the 1960s so for LGBT people in 1960s America shite time really bad time they were on the outskirts of society and they were absolutely shunned 
criminalized by the broader culture. So LGBT people were eager for anywhere they could find safety and community and be together. Going to a bar was a, just a dangerous idea. It was at the time st- in the 1960s still illegal to serve um, gay patrons alcohol. It was illegal to display homosexuality in public. And it was super illegal for two gay people to dance together. God. So. Um, That's because they'd be such good dancers. They are such good dancers. So it was under this guise of New York State's liquor laws that barred disorderly conduct in premises. So anything, anything close to homosexuality was. Do you want to make more noise there? Am I not part of the microphone? You were like you're close to everyone else's mics. Sorry, <laughs> it's. Just yeah, just have a little have a little ruffle there now. This is the cinema in the back, packet of crips, package of crips. Yeah. I wouldn't say you can hear that this at all. This is me trying to eat a golden crisp in bed last night while Seb was sleeping and him just giving out so much about the No, no masticating on Mike. Yeah, keep the you're okay, you're very good. Mike's down. Everyone's getting relaxed for gay story time. So a difficult place to be, but one group of people saw it as an opportunity and that group of people were the mafia and in particular the genovese family uh so would this be like the cake genoese geno is it gen genovese genovese yep genovese genovese like kitty genovese Sorry, uh, we stuck on that now. And Vito Genovese would have been like the head of this mob family. We call him, yeah, Vito. That's easy. Vito's a baller name, isn't it? S- like we don't get enough Vitos these days. So, since the days of prohibition in America, when alcohol was obviously banned, the mob controlled a lot of the nightclubs and a lot of the social places, and they would do so by paying off the uh, the local authorities so a member of the genovese family tony aka fat tony he fat tony saw the the treatment of lgbt people as an opportunity so he went in and he purchased the stonewall inn in 1966 and turned it from a little family bar and restaurant did a very cheap flip on it and opened it as the stonewall which we know was like one of the most influential spaces for LGBT rights in the 60s. So it was run on the cheap. It was dangerous. It was dirty, but it was where the gays went to be together. There was no running water. Glasses were cleaned by dipping them in buckets of dirty water. Uh The toilets regularly overflowed. There was no fire or emergency exits, but it was still a place for people to go and so it became a very popular destination in the gay community. Something of an institution. Um, it was the only place where gay people were allowed to go and dance openly close together. Mm-hmm. And for relatively little money, drag queens were able to perform. It was a place where runaways, homeless LGBT youth and others were able to be kept off the street. It also had a BYOB policy because they were operating outside of these serving um, alcohol to gays legislation. <coughs> so... For like a little bit of money, you could go and you could be be safe, 
in dingy conditions, but be with your people. Uh, and Fat Tony paid about $1,200 a week to the police in agreement that they would turn a blind eye to the indecent conduct occurring there behind so the closed what, doors. What, what was Fat Tony's plan here? Well, Fat Tony was profiting off it. Fat Tony ran the bar, owned the bar, was making a shit ton of money off it. It was the only place where the gays could really go. And so it was bring your own booze and he, she, there was an entry Kind of fee. bring your own booze. There was an entry fee. There was stuff. You could buy a drink in there. The drink was watered down an awful gotcha. lot, apparently. Like he didn't, he wasn't putting money into the maintenance. He wasn't like, it was a shit he wasn't hole. sprucing the place up. Yeah, it was an absolute shithole. So it was, uh, it was one of the most significant places because... Within this agreement of the mafia owning the um, bars and paying off the precinct, if there ever were raids on LGBT establishments, with their, which there were all the time, a, a cop would generally give them a call and let them know. And that's when they would clear off all the alcohol because like, that was one of the biggest offences was serving alcohol to mm-hmm. homosexuals. So they could clear off all the alcohol. They could get rid of whatever else was going on. It was the 60s. There's going to be loads of... Stuff, stuff going on. They can move the drag queens out and all that kind of stuff. And they generally had like a heads up. So raids were um, were just a normal part. They occur from early in the afternoon when few customers were present. Mm. So businesses had time to resume normal operations at night. During a typical raid, the bar owners would change the lights from blue to white and warn customers to stop dancing, stop drinking. Mm. Um, patrons then were often lined up and required to show identification. If they didn't have any, they could be arrested. So men were hauled in and arrested for dressing and drag. Women were... Um, women were arrested for wearing less than three pieces of traditional feminine clothing. Whoa! Oh yeah, sometimes uh, the police would even send women into female officers into the bathroom with women drag queens or transgender people to try and verify their gender. It's just like a horrible oh, place wow. all around. Um, so. Because of these laws and prohibition against serving alcohol to LGBT patrons, in many of the gay bars that there were operated as these bottle bars, private clubs where members could bring their own alcohol. But patrons meant that because they were private clubs, patrons had to sign a membership book. Uh, but most people had to put down fake names because they were terrified all the time. So... Well, I tell you, like, you know the history of Stonewall and what happened. No. The Stonewall riots. The Stonewall riots. Yeah, okay. tell us. Let me just get into it. I don't know this. I can't all. believe we've actually never done this. Yeah, amazed. So the Stonewall riots became one of the most um, significant moments of LGBT history. So uh, they were a series of protests by members of the LGBT community in response to a police raid. So one one night in the early hours of the 28th of June 1969 the police raided Stonewall and this time they didn't get a heads up from a bent copper or like someone mm-hmm. on the inside who'd been paid off so patrons um, were violently brought out onto the street and they were just treated appallingly so you had like drag queens performing you had um butch lesbians as they were like significant and the butch lesbians is just the story that I do want to tell you about are the ones who started working with the mafia because the mafia weren't threatened by there's a great uh, a great thesis that I've been reading about this so the mafia weren't 
put off the mafia didn't it's not that they liked gay people they saw it as an opportunity to earn money Mm. but when it came to the butch lesbians they behaved in a like patriarchal way and they really valued what the mafia represented at the head of the family and manliness and stuff and the mafia warmed the butch lesbians because they upheld those traditions so they weren't threatened by them and they saw them as like this great in and also the butch lesbians were really interested in earning a lot of money and they did that by working with the mafia so it kind of was this mutually beneficial relationship that they um that they that they developed together so the stone back to the stonewall riots right the the idea of raiding bars was totally normal at the time yada 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 it was um it was just it was just par for the course i guess of like going to an lgbt place so the police raid started early two undercover policemen and two undercover two undercover policemen and two undercover policewomen entered the bar that evening to gather visual evidence um, as the public morals squad waited outside for a signal once ready the undercover officers called for backup from the sixth precinct using the bar's pay telephone stonewall employees do not recall being tipped off that the raid was to occur that night as was the custom that they had with the mafia and the arrangement of paying off the police so there was a rumor that one might happen but it, since it was much later than raids generally took place they kind of relaxed into the evening so it was 1 20 a.m on saturday june 28th the four plainclothes policemen in dark suits two patrol officers in uniform detective charles smith and deputy inspector seymour pine arrived at the stonewall inn's double doors and announced police were taking the place music was turned off the main lights were turned on 205 people were in the bar that night um, patrons who had never experienced a police raid were confused and few realized what was happening and began to run for the doors and windows in the bathrooms but police barred the doors so the raid did not go as planned standard procedure was to line up the patrons check their identification and have female officers take customers dressed as women into the bathroom to verify their sex upon which any people appearing to be physically male and dressed as women would be arrested mm. those dressed as women that night refused to go with the officers men in line began to refuse to produce their identification so people started fighting back against the raid the police then decided to take everyone present to the police station after separating those suspected of of, you know being transgender in a room in the back of the bar so all parties involved recalling this sense of discomfort spread very quickly started with the police who assault started assaulting some of them they physically assaulted a lot of women and uh, began feeling up women inappropriately when they were frisking them so 28 cases of beer 19 bottles of hard liquor were seized it was just a raid that kind of got out of hand but then it moved to getting violent very quickly so the police tried to restrain some of the crowd knocking a few people down which incited bystanders even more some of those handcuffed who were getting carted away in the police wagons um were uh they were moved away and they were fine but the crowd started to try and overturn the police wagon two police cars and a wagon had their tires slashed um and basically just erupted into like this them versus us mentality of Mm. the police against the lgbt people so what happened in the days that followed I think I'm correct in saying that nobody was killed during the Stonewall riots, but it just there was a lot of 
violence and a lot of um a lot of disease and because the police had behaved in a certain way the patrons started rioting like protesting outside the stonewall inn and it became it's often heralded as like the beginnings of pride protests where mm. instead of just like fearing it and moving away that for the first time they came together and stood their ground outside and the publicly out themselves yes the so they well. they mm. were they were publicly outing themselves and there was this it's just considered this really like watershed moment for lgbt rights where they would stand up and go against it and yeah there was like a couple of very significant activists like Marsha P. Johnson, who became very well known in the gay liberation movement, um, who would have been there during Stonewall at the time, um, and a couple of the other uh, other kind of top organizers, a lot of trans organizations coming from it and just a fucking great time. Well, a horrible time, but like a great legacy to come from the Stonewall riots. So that's the kind of vague history of the Stonewall riots and this Stonewall being owned by the mafia. So I have one little fun story. So because I was saying to you, like the mafia, they're notoriously um, macho, you know. Yeah. In the traditional sense. Yeah. Macho, misogynistic, like. Traditionally, women don't, they have, you know, the mob wives, but they don't necessarily participate in the mafia and all that kind of stuff. But there is one story of uh, a transgender woman called Terry, and she actually ended up forming a very close personal relationship with Anna Genovese, who was the wife of one of the mafia bosses. And this is just a cutesy little tale. So Terry uh, is a transgender woman and she tried to force herself into acting like a gay man her entire life. But she knew she was not sexually attracted to men. So kind of knew that there was, I guess, knowing that she felt differently before transitioning, thought maybe she was a gay man. Knew that she was part of this community of people that were alternative and queer and whatever else. But it never found her... I guess what fit for her. So she knew she was not sexually attracted to men and she was performing at one of the other clubs, the 82 club for a period of time, made peace with herself and gathered up enough courage to start transitioning. So she, as an LGBT person in the 60s, was on the edge of financial destitution. Drag queens could not afford anything outside of their normal expenses, less like let alone medical procedures of that kind of nature. So unintentionally terry ended up befriending anna and telling her about her situation um to which the the mafia boss and she was the owner of of 82 club responded by sending her to her personal physician so over the course of 18 months a doctor in brooklyn examined and treated terry with one weekly shot he prescribed her with daily pills the doctor's office never billed terry after two years of attending visits and a year and a half of receiving hormones, the doctor, through frequent installments from Anna, arranged for Terry's surgery. Wow. Yeah. So during that time, like they would have used language like self-mutilation to describe transitioning and they would describe it as medically unethical and immoral. But regardless of all that criticism, Terry went through the procedures to live the life she had always wanted. 
and it would have been impossible without Anna's monetary and emotional support. So incredible yeah Anna received a lot of criticism as well because like she obviously did it from a place of I don't know empathy or friendship but she then herself was constantly berated for her closeness to the LGBT community um and there was suspicion that Anna herself was identified as a lesbian but she was one of the good ones was Anna publicly hanging out with Terry like well, she Terry Terry worked as a drag performer in the bar. Okay, so they would have yeah they would have had like a very obvious relationship, but it could have been not a relationship, but like a working relationship. Gotcha. So they definitely knew each other, and that was all. Um, that was all fine. I did find a little bit more on Anna, and it started later. to become people were like, "What? Why is Anna so involved in this? And yeah, is Anna gay? Yeah, I mean, of course, that's where." they that's where they go because it's like you like the gays you must be gay um but of course it could have been just that she was a nice and decent person an ally an ally, an ally mm-hmm. a nice person let me find a little i think i'm trying what was terry's uh, surname terry. i don't have terry's surname because uh, a lot of the people in this so this thesis all about gay rights in 90s 60s New York it is written from it's there's an author who wrote a fictionalized book about it Mm. and she befriended she's a she's a gay woman and she befriended a lot of these people in kind of the the 80s and 90s and they wanted to still I mean the fear persists they they wanted to remain um they wanted to remain anonymous but it's absolutely fascinating let me just Anna Genovese. She is sensational. Look there. Minklined ah. evening wear. Heavy Stunning. Oh, yeah. Hair. So during during the um during follow up uh, during sorry, there's a podcast called Mob Queens, hosted by um two people called Bendinger and Seligman. And they interviewed Anna's granddaughter, Mia, about uh, just her involvement and all this kind of stuff. And Mia, without prompting, started mentioning Anna's romantic involvement with a woman named Jackie who lived at the Hotel Arlington. So when Anna went to visit Jackie, the latter left her grandchildren in the park across the street to play. So they were never allowed to go upstairs and see Jackie. But at the age of 21, Mia met Jackie for the first time at her grandmother's funeral where she discovered Anna's had 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 a this secret after all this time. So she confirmed that her grandmother had had another affair with Gwen Saunders, a cashier at one of the nightclubs. So aside from her mafia status, the Italian-American businesswoman brought an invaluable personal connection to the queer patrons and performers who entered Club 82 and the other bars that she helped run. Um, Mia said she wasn't certain of Anna's sexuality but it seems apparent from the interviews with drag queens and drag kings that they she had had extramarital relationships with women good god good for her good honour good for her what an absolute mad connection but of course you can sort of see how that would have been the case with the mob I, the, yeah they're the, operating outside of the mainstream as well exactly yeah 
and yeah, so as the gay people were forced to. This is what they say about the butch lesbians. So they didn't, they loved drag kings and butch lesbians because they recognized that they had a basic understanding of money. They were not getting swept up in the fight for equal rights, especially the freedom of expression, because they didn't want to, I guess they didn't want to draw attention to themselves. And they knew that going with the mafia would bring them financial success and protective services as well. So the women, the drag kings in particular, acted with this sort of macho nature. They did not pose a threat to the proud Italian men who drew, who viewed mm. drag queens as fairies. Um, and they appreciated the American man's mission of reaching middle class. So, yeah, the, the gay male entertainers gained several enemies in the mafia, the NYPD and the politically moderate queer organizations. Um, but the drag kings and the butch lesbians kind of used this sort of used views of society to their advantage, you know, and made their dime got their protection had a great time yeah and amazing advanced the, the rights yes absolutely i mean they did to an extent but it cannot be undermined like it, it must be appreciated that the people at the forefront of the stonewall riots oh, yeah, were generally trans the mafia. sorry no no yeah. not the ma- no no <laughs> but like in particular as well the like save the gays Huzzah. in particular the stonewall the riots these Stonewall riots were um, a pivotal moment in. Yeah, but they were really that it was it was gay men and transgender people. It was a lot of transgender people predominantly who were at the forefront of of um, the Stonewall riots. Amazing. I mean, there's probably more lesbians who've been written out of history because that's what we did and just mm. ignored um, the fact that women existed yeah. in the past at all. Yes, absolutely. Especially gay women. But there you have it. Well, thank you. You had a bit of a gay bit of history. history. Love a gay history creep. Mm. The more you know. It's kind of uplifting and now I'm bringing us right down. Uh-oh. Uh, Where are we going? Thank okay. You, We're going to the 70s. So just a couple of years later. And we are going to the Americas. Oh, yeah. And we're going to uh, a place that is very hard to get right in pronunciation, but I will try Pocatello, Idaho. Pocatello. Okay. So let me introduce you to the Brobergs. Siren, rude. Um, They were a very close uh, family of... um, Bob and Marianne and their three daughters, the oldest of whom was called Jan. And um, they were members of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Of course. Um, And they are, that church is also, of course, uh, known as the Mormon Church. And they lived in this totally by all accounts, idyllic community in Pocatello. They were your total nuclear, like American nuclear family. Um, Bob, the dad, ran a florist in Mm -hmm. the town and Marianne um, was at home with the kids. And lovely, lovely. And they were like, there seems to be just this kind of innocence about them, this kind of like, 
earnestness about them and um, the daughter Jan said later that like they had a kind of an almost family motto that was like every day is a bonus every oh, day is a oh, bonus oh. and they um they're grateful they were sweet you know they were just sweet and so in the early 70s um Jan the oldest was nine um when uh Bob and Marianne became friends with another family um, who were the Birchtolds. So we had Birchtolds and Brobergs. And also the head of the Birchtolds was also called Bob. Um, so from here on out, we will call um, Bob Jan's dad, Bob. And we're going to call the Birchtold dad, B. Okay. okay. And so the Birchtolds had a rake of boys, little boy kids. And there was almost kind of like, you know, a sort of a corresponding kid for each of the Bro- Broberg kids to be friends with in the Birchtold family. So we're so talking like, about the American TV show called The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. Kind, kind of. of. But without the blending of the family. I see. There's um, still wife one wife. Yes, carry on. Yeah. So there's like and so like B's wife Gail, you know, they were married and they were in the church yeah. as well. And they moved to Pocatello uh in the early 70s and the two families just like became really, really close. Um, they were kind of always in each other's houses. They went on trips together, picnics, the works, and um, sorry, um, the uh, the parents were great friends, really close. And like I said, in this kind of community in the early seventies, like it was just like such a safe place. Like Jan, the eldest daughter, describes how like. They would all just like leave their houses at the beginning of the day, get on their bikes, go yeah. and buy sweets, go to the park. Talk to strangers. Talk to strangers, <laughs> bike rides together. Um, and then, you know, everyone left their doors open. It was all that kind of usual thing. And um, were they very close as in close, close neighbors? Like as in swingers live. Oh, as do you mean that? Physically close. No, house. they did. Yeah, they lived a few. Like, yeah, they lived just down the block. Gotcha. Like they'd moved in just down the block. And uh, B, the patriarch of the other family, were like he was like a, a local businessman as well. So they had all this in common. And like Bob uh, Broberg, Jan's dad, who was the florist, was like particularly known for just like being a big softy. Um. And like. If anyone ever was like getting flowers for a funeral or a wedding, like he was always like really, really generous, like almost to a fault. I think his business wasn't like wildly successful, but it was because he such a nice just guy. loved people and wanted oh. to help people. And so um, one day um, in 1974, it was October, and um, B came round to uh, Bob and Marianne's house um, to pick up Jan the eldest um to take her to um horse uh horseback riding and Marianne was like oh she's got piano lessons and B was like ah no problems I'll get her after the piano lessons and that's all grand yeah and um so B picked up Jan who was 12 and Jan had been taken for like allergy testing all of the kids had actually at B's behest. So B was like to Bob and Marianne, he was like, all oh, my lads are getting allergy testing. Like, let's, you want your kids to row in on this as well. And so like, uh, Jan got into the car with B and- um, Alone? He, yeah, to go horseback riding. 
and he like I cannot state enough how enmeshed the families were yeah, oh, yeah. like this sounds a bit strange for a dad of another family to be taking one daughter yeah but I guess that's just the way the, the cookie crumbled that day yeah and the kind of innocence of the times and like they really they'd been friends for years at this stage okay, okay. And, and nothing ever weird beforehand um well Okay, weird things. I'll dial back in a minute. But basically, he, when Jan got into the car, was like, oh, don't forget to take your allergy pill and gave her a quote unquote allergy pill. Oh, no. And then the next thing. And Jan's nine, is she? She's 12 at this point. She's 12. The next thing, Jan woke up Mm. in the back of B's motorhome. Where the fuck is the motorhome? So. B, while Jan was passed out, drove to like this sort of storage garage where he kept the motorhome mm-hmm. and switched vehicles and started heading to Mexico. Jesus. Oh my God. And in, in the motorhome. And Jan's in the motorhome. To and in the he back. had tied her to the bed at the back. Oh my God. And she was definitely kind of like coming in and out of consciousness. I mean, she was 12 years old. Like, and she loved B. Like so, her thing was who was he taking was us? like a second dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know that kind of way. And so, meanwhile, back at the um, Broberg's house, Marianne and Bob were a bit like, "Where are they?" Like t- hours had been going by, there was no sign of them. They'd rang Gail and been like, "And do you know where B is?" And like she he's supposed to have been back, and she was like, "Yeah, she hadn't seen him." it's this is a strange one but i do think it probably speaks to the kind of insular world of a church like the lds they didn't raise the alarm with authorities until four or five days later four or five days yeah and a 12 year old is gone like from their perspective though well that's suggestive of they knew they were alive they that's a guilty mm. that's a suggestion of guilt there because if they thought they were in an accident which is what a normal person in a normal situation would believe they were in a car accident where's the where's the crash you're ringing the police immediately yeah i think that they knew b to be like such a good person and he did have a very special connection, connection with to Jan. Jan. And oh, so... Um, but even they, wife. I think they just kept being like, they'll be back. They'll be back any minute. I think that there was like probably a bit of shame about like they literally handed Jan over, mm. you know. But even Gail. And also Gail kept begging them to Not just kind to. of wait. She fucking knew. Yeah. Oh. And could presumably Jan had been over there for sleepovers and all sorts of stuff. So Gail, yeah, yeah, had Gail knew. Well, yeah, like prior to this night, there was an incident at uh, Gail and B's house. So Jan had come over for a sleepover, and all of the kids were sleeping out. I mean, it's so idyllic sounding. Like they were sleeping out on the trampoline under the stars. Like Cute. this was their sleepover and um at one point in the night Jan had woken up and kind of like felt a little bit uneasy and noticed that her nightgown I cannot stress enough how like 
there's some hard oh dear okay. subjects in this story sorry okay. should have so brought us this deep in i but could Dan do a flag kind of stop now give us a trigger warning moment for people child abuse okay grooming okay yeah um and so jan had um kind of her nightdress twisted i mean couldn't have been more than 10 or 11 and her knickers kind of like down oh dear and she uh and b was there and she kind of went into the house uh to where gail was and she was very close to gail as well and she was obviously disturbed and upset and distressed and B like hurried in after her and was like oh you were just wriggling around in your sleep mm. oh I just I went out there because I thought that you just were having trouble sleeping and you seemed to be having a dream you know and tried to kind of fob it off mm. and like so this Gail had been aware of um was any of this reported back to Jan's family no not that okay um and so Anyway, as I said, Jan woke up in the back of this motorhome and they were headed to Mexico. Jesus. And so she was tied. She was restrained at that point. But the next thing that Jan remembers is a strange kind of audio box, kind of like a, some kind of radio box was playing and saying all these strange things about aliens. Um, And the aliens were called Zethro and, oh, what was the other alien's name? Zeta and Zethra. This is ringing bells. And she fully believed she had just been abducted. She hadn't seen B yet. So she was lying there with these strange voices playing. And um, the voices seemed to be kind of saying that, like, she had been chosen for this mission that would save the world and um all she had to do was um become pregnant before the age of 16 and it would head off this disaster and that she had been chosen for this mission and so had B and so then she realized B was in the motorhome and he was kind of all sort of scratched up Mm. and bit banged up and basically why he was banged up was because when he was switching vehicles he tried to make it look like their car had been attacked and that he and Jan might have been abducted or captured only like definitely very poorly executed the window of the car was smashed quite clearly from the inside okay things like that so like the Brobergs, like back in uh, Pocatello, had f- the car had by then been found. Our th- authorities had become involved, and um, five, like there five was days no, had passed. yeah, yeah, and there was just no trace of like which direction had they gone in. Do you know that kind of way? And like they were just still reeling from the shock. It was just like it was like an you know yeah, it was like a really close family friend just suddenly turned on a dime. Yeah. Anyway, so back in the motorhome, he uh, begins to like abuse Jan under the kind of uh, pretext of we have to do this and if you can't if you don't become pregnant by the time you're 16 the world will end and your family will be destroyed and you yourself will be vaporized and like this just being presented to Jan by like a really trusted 
person like she just didn't question it remotely and she was 12 years old and um so basically they got to mexico and he married her in mexico which was legal there yes to marry a child of 12 at the time in the 70s and so he then contacted his brother um and this was the first kind of contact he made back with anyone in the States. And he said to his brother, um, I want you to go to Bob and Marianne and tell them that I will come back to the state, come up back to the States, come home as long as they agree to give permission for him to legally marry Jan under US law. And they <sighs> were like, no. Bob. Bob. B. <laughs> yeah. B. And obviously really distressed. But also and then grateful. In the end, Did they know at that point the families, uh, the, like, were they aware that B had abducted Jan now? Had yeah. the case... Yeah, they'd stopped... Yeah, they'd stopped like, believing that they'd been accident. Ab- abducted. Yeah, and now there was this issue of him, like, really openly wanting to marry their 12-year-old child. But on one hand, glad that she's alive. Obviously, yeah, definitely. But also, holy shit. And so then Joe, the brother, was like... <sighs> I'm not having this. It's funny, like Joe's involvement, like he seems to like definitely have love for his brother B, but, and he knows that B had like a rough childhood, things like that. But he is the one who contacted authorities and told them where they were in Mexico. And there was like a raid on the motorhome, terrifying for Jan. They were brought to a prison and kept separate. And, like be in the prison bribed a guard to go and get Jan so that they could have a conversation and B said to Jan you cannot tell anyone about the mission if you tell anyone about the mission your family will die you will be vaporized you know he just immediately was like she's on lockdown yeah she 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 won't won't tell anyone what's happened and so they were like you know basically like marianne sorry jan was returned to her family and b was like turned over to the authorities in the u.s and they um how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're all set to, like, press charges um, for him kidnapping. Um, yeah, obviously. Jan. When suddenly, Bob and Marianne were like, Let's no, not. we're not going to testify. We're not oh. going to admit to any of this. Wow. Yes. So, and so, wow. Things totally Was that, do you think that was to do, to do with like the being LDS, that they didn't want to, like it was a religious thing mm. that they didn't want to bring attention? Or do you think it was, they were like, this has all been a misunderstanding? Well, what was happening at this point was that... Marianne and Bob both had secrets and particularly under pressure from B and Gail. B and Gail knew their secrets? They did. And they both they were kind of put it back on Marianne and Bob. If you do this, if you press charges, we will out you. this what? will all come out. What the what hell were, were their secrets? And also Marianne and Bob like, seemingly really didn't believe that Jan had been physically or sexually abused. Okay. Jan was maintaining she hadn't been. Okay. But B obviously was. So I'll just dial back a tiny bit. Two years earlier. Obviously the families are really close. Mm. B had kind of particularly always like really flattered Marianne. Um, they'd be in church and he'd be like, oh, I love like your sense of style. And I'd love if you like helped Gail, you know, a little bit with like picking out clothes and things. You know, I should I, I sure know she'd love to look as good as you, Marianne. But B is not the ultimate groom. Mm-hmm. Like he's grooming everyone in the family at this point. Exactly. He's a complete like consummate predator who knows that if he can get to every member in this family, and create distance and divide within the family. He can do whatever he wants. He will have total control. So he said to, um, you know, Marianne, he flattered her constantly. And there definitely seems to have been times where Marianne has kind of later said things went, you know, a little bit far. Like I heard her describe like there was necking. Okay. Like the, it's still the innocence. Yeah. Like I know, it's, I can't help but feel for everyone involved in the story. Not be obviously, but like... Marianne and Bob, um, that there had been necking and a bit of inappropriate touching and things like that. Interesting. Um, And then um, B was also um, very kind of handy around the house and all the little girls slept down stairs in this kind of big room. And he was like, oh God, like they're getting too old to be sharing this big room. I'll put up a wall for you guys. And he literally, now this is, remember two years before the kidnapping, like er- erected partition walls in the little girl's room downstairs so that Jan had a room on her own. So then the next thing B kind of came out with was that he suffered depression um, as a result of events in his childhood. And he was seeing a psychotherapist mm-hmm. who had recommended this very particular type of treatment. So B, when he was growing up, he'd kind of grown up kind of rural and his 
dad particularly kind of ostracized him from the family in the main and had him sleep out in a kind of a barn on the land from a very young age and he the only time B could ever really like come inside the family home was if he was taking care of his little sister and so B told Bob and Marianne that the psychologist had recommended that like in his past the only time that he had felt kind of like a part of a family and um and kind of accepted was when he was taking care of this little girl and that the psychiatrist remembered or sorry recommended that he um sleep beside a little girl and fucking hell that is not that's just not now, true even if we take into now account you will be shocked to hear that psychologist did not have a license but, but that came out later. I'm shocked to even hear that there was a psychologist. I know. But there was apparently these audio tapes that the psychologist had made that B was to listen to while he uh, lay down beside the little girl. And so he came to Marianne and Bob and was like, I have this illness. This is the treatment recommended. Can I uh, lie down with Jan while I listen to my therapy tapes? What were on the tapes? The therapist talking to Something him. like that, yeah. And Can um, I lie down with Jan yeah. in the small cubby hole I've created for her no, in my basement? No, no. In their basement, yeah. Oh, in, in their, their basement. Ground floor, ground floor. So he's asked, so th- sorry, this is in their home. This is in their home. They're upstairs in bed. So Marianne describes how, so they agreed. I, they were like. The grooming this man must have done to that family. The cycle, the slowly, slowly, carefully pushing it a little further each and every time. Mm. They are victims in this, but oh yeah, yeah. I, but it I, is he still beggars belief. It's still even the naivety, even taking into account the times. It's still amazing that it they allowed this to carry on. Totally yeah. bizarre. So, um, but remember, he's like started to sow the seeds of having something on, something on them. But like Marianne says that like it's the scene that she has described is like the door be kind of open. He'd be in there kind of lying on the bed and she'd be kind of pottering, you know, Jan after the kids bedtime, okay. pottering, doing laundry, stuff like that, you know. And then but there is definitely in there's suggestion that like at other times you know that door would be closed but it would all then become normalized for them in exactly. some strange God. way and then obviously it was kind of legitimized by the fact that it was like oh this is the treatment that my doctor has prescribed but the yeah. shit that he had on her marie marianne Mar- yeah marianne Mom, was yeah. necking yeah but like this yeah, was such a kind of a cloistered community there was such and like you know the way in like lds there's like this really really intense hierarchy within the church where like if you want to do if you do do something or you want to do something in your life that may in some way like be slightly against lds teachings or something like that yeah you like take it to a higher up and you seek their advice you either get permission or you get punished or you know that kind of way so then basically would had did anyone else know that this was ongoing there is no way that gail did not know sorry absolutely gail knew i have had these two families no look at all gail seems to have literally never ever spoken and disappeared and i'm like i don't blame her but obviously it's very tough like she knew stuff was going on the shit is not on gail but like oh i think of all the of all the guilty parties gail has the least blood on her hands here 
I mean, yeah, she's complicit. Obviously, I think you've got you've got B, and then you've got the her parents. Her parents. Mm. So can the I next, yeah, you were saying that about the LDS stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I said, did anyone else know it was outside of the two families? Would the no. community? The I don't church think elders or anything. Like it, I don't think so. But say, for example, if the Brobergs, Jan's parents had decided that this was a matter that they needed advice on, they might have taken it to higher ups who might have said, go with it, B's a good man. But I don't know if that took place. Okay. I know there's other parts of the story where they did involve higher ups. So basically, this is all going on. This is all like simmering away. B is doing this like, kind of treatment how involving often? Jan. Um Oh, it seems like kind of over the course of like eight months, like the sacrificial lamb, many kind of times. But again, it's all before the kidnapping. So it's all before he like kind of this is his big plan. Yeah. 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 It's it's all before him telling or him orchestrating this alien narrative, you know. And so one day he comes to Bob out of work or whatever and um he tells bob that like he's really um struggling in his marriage and they he's like can you go for a drive like i just really need to get some stuff off my chest and bob is like yeah of course you know let's go for a drive and oh they kind of over the course of this afternoon um b tells bob that like he needs sexual release and that you know gail is just not really providing that side of life and bob recounts later that he noticed that b was aroused oh wow and basically bob jerked him off yeah jerked him off in the car fuck yeah what kind of a fucking guy is b how is he doing, doing this? this with everyone? Yeah, yeah. Like in he tells, but he tells Bob that he had a very traumatic childhood. This he's really hanging a lot of, ho- of yeah. shit on this hook. He tells Bob that he, at a very very young age, um, was assaulted by his aunt, mm. and that this has kind of like messed him up sexually and with women. Well, confused him more. in general yeah in general and like bob yeah bob just kind of feels like well can't say how bob felt but like he he did this and so there's the this shit. all the groundwork has been laid now for b to really put this family through the ringer and can i just add like the type of people jan's parents mm. would they be especially naive yeah, definitely. Yeah, would they would have? Would so. they be sort of vulnerable people in their? Well, you know, I mean, it seemed to be like I mean, financially, they seemed not well off, but comfortable, and they obviously were kind of upstanding in their community and liked. So and they were operating, but like, I think that their kind missing? of other friends and things had slightly been edged out by the kind of level of closeness with the birch tolls. Okay, birch tolls. So anyway, fucking hell. Cut back to 1974. Um, B and Jan have returned. Okay. The charges for kidnapping have been dropped. Okay. Um, I think that B is kind of advised to get some kind of help, therapeutic help. Good idea. But 
largely things go back to normal ish but post kidnapping yeah like so b is still involved in their lives post kidnapping and jan yeah so he uses a very specific method to like keep jan ensnared and keep jan focused on their quote-unquote mission so he does so that's why he's ringing the house constantly and then he starts to get messages to Jan through her classmates in school. So she'd be in class and another student would pass her a note that would be like, go to this pay phone at four o'clock and to receive your next orders and things like that. Oh my God. And, um, you know, so she would do that. And like the whole time she was like living in fear. Like she was not fear of B at all. She loved him. Like deeply loved him. Yeah. She was living in fear of the kind of overarching kind of ticking time bomb of all of this shit is going to hit the fan when I'm 16 if I'm not pregnant by the time I'm 16. Oh my God. And um, so. This guy's a fucking monster. He he? is a fucking monster. And then um, this is really hard to believe. Marianne entered into a sexual relationship with B. It's actually not hard to believe. <laughs> okay. Full sex with B. Yeah. After everything. After everything. Knowing now at this point that he has abused her daughter. Well, no. Taken her daughter. Returned her. No. Come on. I know. I know. I think they believed that there hadn't been abuse. Well, they, they had had Jan yeah, examined point. when she was returned from Mexico. Interesting. And the doctor found... Inconclusive there. No, that there didn't seem to be any evidence okay. of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Like Jan herself later says that like she feels B was extremely careful. Like I know, uh, absolute bomb, fuke. absolute bomb. So now Mar- Marianne and Bob are just like kind of becoming like coming undone. Like Bob is the, has this huge burden She's of tortured. his transgression. Yeah. And feeling so responsible. And then Marianne is like engaged in an um, um, you know, active affair. Enough fa- affair with B. And then like B tells Bob about the affair. <gasps> and it knows that Bob can't do a fucking thing. Kind of. Yeah. Of job. yeah. But like Bob then just goes to their attorney that had represented them when they had been looking for a John. You know, they'd gotten an yeah. attorney. Goes to him and like the attorney's like, you have to divorce her. Like, and you know, um, excuse me, he serves her papers. Okay, he takes so the little girls out for when she's getting served the papers. Okay. And um, she is just broken by the idea that they would get a divorce by her actions like it definitely doesn't seem like it seems like the affair was like extremely fraught for her emotionally yeah it seems like she kind of couldn't help herself like i do feel for everything that b has managed to kind of perpetrate he is you know he is some kind of like love bombing you know grooming fucking savant like I, that he you know what I mean yeah I feel like I'm going easy maybe I sound like I'm going too easy on Marianne but like I just I don't know from watching her in interviews and stuff I'm just like this is a tortured person yeah all of these people yeah, were broken yeah, yeah, by yeah, this okay. do you know what I mean so then the next thing is 
you just that okay. I'm Bob stuck on the fucking Gail tapes. Move. I'm sleeping with it. The, there's just no way you can move past that. Oh, like, I know. Are responsible. Like, yeah. Where the book stops Oh 100% they're responsible Like this yeah. man perpetrated that They invited him into their home Yeah Repeatedly sacrificed their, their child to him So And they put They protected their own reputations Over her, se- her safety Yes exa- exactly They are absolutely awful it's Terrible very true I think I've been listening to so much Of In Their Own Words That I, I really do I You're just, hearing them Huge sympathy here I'm like whoa they were targeted by like a fucking monster who was very fucking good at what he did. So anyway, the next thing is, the, okay, B and Gail, B moves. Okay. And he goes to... Um, Alone or with everyone? His family? With the family, because he goes to take over being in charge of a children's play centre. Fucking hell. Christ. And, you Sorry, know, and a few Gail, times over. We haven't mentioned Gail. So she, she is very opaque in all this. Like everything I have found and read and listened to, I cannot get a handle on her at all. No voice. Yeah. No story from yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Like, Jesus, you would just disappear and that'd be that. You but couldn't. her insight here is really needed. Oh, I know. I know. And his own children. So anyway, the next thing is that his oldest, who is the same age as Jan, is working in the kind of sort of place for the summer. And he immediately starts getting on to Jan and Marianne and Bob being like, um, you know, she can come down here and work um, in the play center place with Jerry, the son. Mm. I think the son's name is Jerry. Anyway, Mm -hmm. they're like, no, no. Like Bob is like absolutely fucking not over my dead body. These people are out of our lives. Yeah. Marianne is like no but they're having a situation now with Jan she's getting a bit older she is nearly 15 at this stage okay in her mind she's fucking frantic because she's on the mission and she's time is running out oh my god the mission and like the thing is like he had constantly continued the seeds of the mission through messages and notes and like there was definitely some times where he like planted the voice box in her room while she was asleep at night Mm. fucked up things and um she is desperate to go down there and work for the summer and be with B. And um, she obviously tells no one about the mission. She's really, really acting out. They're finding it incredibly hard to, you know, keep a handle on the situation and her. And now I've heard two different accounts of what happens next. I've heard one from Jan and one from a different documentary. So basically the documentary told it that Marianne eventually relented and bought Jan a plane ticket to go down there and work. Marianne did. The mother. Of course. And that Bob told her, you're going to regret that to the day you die. The other version that I heard Jan herself give was that she was old enough, she had learned to drive, and that one day when her mother was out, she literally got out a phone book, called herself a taxi, went to the airport and got a flight with money B had gotten to her somehow. Okay. okay. Well, if Jan said it, presumably that's true. Yeah. 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 She has no need to protect her parents in this. Not really. No. Yeah. But she was involved in the other documentary as well. So like, I don't okay. think there's lying going on here. Which I don't know docu- if it's misremembered or whatever. Okay. And so basically, one way or another, she ends up in the, um, in the camp 
I think there was another suggestion that B had driven up for her. And like she climbed out yeah. her window at night. Okay. And he had just parked around the corner from the house with the lights off. Fucking whichever way that cookie crumbled is disturbing. So she's yeah. there anyway. She's there. Joe, the brother of B, visits them during that time. And he's like, I've Get never seen B so happy. Jesus and is Christ. very, very disturbed by what he's witnessing. You know, knows it's wrong and just can't understand why his brother wants this little girl oh and like the thing is jan at this age still looks really really young not yeah. that it would impact what's like the right but there's a very clear this, but something, like yeah there is definitely she's spoken about how she still hadn't hit puberty mm-hmm. she's mentioned that a few times which i think means she hasn't started menstruating yet which mm-hmm. is like another anxiety because she can't get pregnant oh yeah for her mission okay. and so basically um so she stayed down there for two weeks and yeah. continued the mission. And then she came home um, after the two weeks. But um, in August of 1976, um, she disappeared again. Sorry, that was Bob taking her directly from the home. What age is she Literally then? in the middle of the night. She's barely 15. Okay. Where she is just, she might have just turned 15. So she's the, very young. She's old. gone. Everybody knows where she, I mean. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's no yeah. question about it. So like immediately after she's gone, immediately they're on to Bob. Bob's like, I've no idea. I've no idea where she is. And, but investigators were like, it can only be Bob. So she was gone for 102 days. Oh my God. Yeah. Hell. And two and a half months. They had no idea where she was in the country. And like the family is just absolutely crumbling, disintegrating. Like three months. Obviously, Bob and Marianne blame themselves. As they should. <laughs> obviously, they're they're just devastated and scared. They were also like getting this like feedback from B that like that Jan was kind of on the streets, had turned to sex work, like mad shit. And why would you so, say that? Don't look for her or it, it, this she's, a lost, she's yeah. a lost cause. Yeah, yeah, like that kind of thing. Jesus. And so then um, they finally, the investigators had watched Bob. They were sort of, had him under surveillance. Bob or B? B, sorry. B. Thank you, B. And they saw him going to a payphone one day and they were like, what's going on he left they went into the payphone this is very like if this isn't a film you'd be like oh yeah right but anyway basically the phone book was open to a page that had the number of a catholic girls boarding school in pasadena california mm-hmm. and they were like that she's gotta be she there is. and so, so when he... they went to the catholic boarding school they were like we don't have any jo- jan broberg here the authorities were like she could be under a fake name. Mm-hmm. The nuns were giving nothing, nothing away. Oh, shocking. Until they finally managed to convince the nuns that they were, you know, Police. authority looking for a kidnapped child. Exactly. And the nuns revealed that B had brought Jan to the convent, had said that he was a member of the CIA and that there was very dangerous people who you know had it out for him that his wife had been murdered in the lebanon this was their only child and that she had to keep they had to keep her safe that anyone who came looking for her 
was trying to get to him and would only harm her. And they had made an alias of Janice Tobler, lazy al- alias. So, so why she would was be brought back to have gone? Why would he have done that? He had limited her access somewhere that she no, but as her quote unquote father. Oh, he had full access every weekend yeah. or oh, whenever he wanted. Yeah, and Jan during that time was still terrified about the mission. I ter- like growing anxiety about like would she be able to become pregnant and like felt responsible her for her family's safety loved be like jan the adult has spoken about how deep this bond was how completely knit into her this love was and you know he had been grooming her since she was nine essentially like that's when they all first met you know this is an adult that she has you know grown like so deeply enmeshed with over the course of five years yeah and the fact that her parents have been like it's fine he's amazing great guy i'll jerk him off you do the necking oh i'm god i'm so sorry i don't know i'm so you know what i'm i'll tell you why i i really i have a sense of respect for Bob and Marianne even though they made huge mistakes at the time I'll tell you about that in a minute so basically her 16th birthday was approaching they had rescued her from this convent she was back at home she's panicking now she's panicking but also B's contact is becoming less and less and adult Jan is like yeah I I stopped being a child I was getting aged out and so she had slowly she was so her 16th birthday was approaching and she was so fucking panicked that she had a plan. Uh, she said she knew where her go- father hid his gun and she was going to... B had told her that if she couldn't get pregnant, then he would have to go on to her next youngest sister. Oh, oh my, my God. Gosh. Yeah. And that if Susan... um, So she had kind of developed a plan. Like, I mean, she was addled. Mm. Out of her mind, I think, is absolutely yeah. fair to say. And she yeah. basically said decided she was going to ask Susan if she would take her place in the mission oh and if God. Susan said no Jan was going to hurt Susan and herself I oh mean take their God. lives and so she went to this like acting camp she was really into drama so sad because she was so extrovert and like you know a, you know, just well, a that's probably why you child, picked her you know mm. and anyway she went to this kind of drama camp and she was like petrified because the 16th birthday was approaching there was a boy at the drama camp who really liked her and like he i mean very innocent like bought her an ice cream and like she was fucking terrified at this that this would jeopardize the mission she was doing yeah. the wrong thing and the aliens would you know what i mean yeah. oh it's just devastating and she on the evening of her 16th birthday called home and like they said oh the dogs are a bit out of sorts and Jan became convinced that this was, this the, was beginning the beginning of it yeah. yeah and so she was terrified she went to sleep on the 16th birthday woke up the next morning her mom rang she was like what's coming and the mom was like oh the dogs are grand again and um, they must have just had something to eat and she was just being chatty and normal and wishing her a happy birthday so did this was the spell broken yeah Ooh. that was what finally basically had her question the whole story and years and years of it years of it like close to six years of an absolute unending ordeal and like i can't imagine how you come back to yourself after that Mm -hmm. who are you at that point all your formative years yeah like ever begin to kind of be your own person uh be vanished from their lives but to date 
has never gone to prison for any oh, of his crimes. At one point, they got him on some kind of, you know, when, when he'd hidden her in the convent, they did get him on something. Kind of impersonating a, a police officer? That was it. Exactly. God, yeah, well done. I couldn't remember. Impersonating a CIA That's officer. That's it. He spent... After everything. Are you ready? 15 days in prison. Oh my God. That was scum. it. Insane. And he was able to vanish. And so basically, Jan went on, grew up, became a like successful actress. She's been in tons God. of things. And she started in the early 2000s. Well, she had a baby quite young in her late 20s. She has talked a lot about how her romantic relationships have been so, completely yeah. blighted by this because she had been so impeccably, effectively groomed yeah. that yeah. she, she couldn't match the love. Nobody could make her feel that way. Again. Yes. And so the... She started in her early 30s after she'd had her son kind of telling her story a little bit initially to just small groups mm. of women but she began to be like this is my purpose okay because yeah. my story and our family story is the absolute quintessential example of grooming and manipulation yep and how you can isolate each member of the family from the others yeah. and have total power. What can we learn? Yeah. And so then in the early 2000s, Marianne wrote a book called Stolen Innocence, all about the experiences. And she and Bob Her totally dad. admitted to... Sorry, their, Marianne wrote the book. Yeah, the mother. Sorry. Jan's oh, right. mother. Jan's mother wrote this book I think Jan herself has written another book but this is where I think like it's admirable because like we can't imagine the suffocation of a community like that and to come out and be like this all happened and this is actually the role I played in it yeah. and especially okay. for like well for both of them but Bob like with the kind of homosexual element mm -hmm. which would have just been so unacceptable yeah. and he like spoke about it honestly and like took to full responsibility them. yeah 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 they both did and like do you know it's it's actually just very hard to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's been groomed and manipulated to, to that degree it's very hard to imagine yourself becoming completely brainwashed by another human being it's mm. isn't it's it? easy happen it happens so slowly that's or it I guess. yeah by increments you're just getting slowly and it's so coercive it happens like with these small little things over and over and then you, it, years pass and you don't even realize yeah. I just can't and also there. like I think B must have been like really charismatic no doubt you know what I mean like I just and I just can't I think as well you have to put yourself in the mindset of having this incredibly sheltered life for Marianne and Bob mm. and what it must have been like to suddenly be like apparently the kind of target of this charismatic person's affections yeah and like he had a whole line to Marianne that it was like oh it was never about Jan it was always about you I mean really oh, yeah. fucked up but basically Jan as well as her acting career has like completely devoted her life to advocating for victims of grooming and child abuse mm -hmm. and has like she's amazing she's fucking amazing she's like 60s early 60s now she and her son run uh, the Jan Brogan not-for-profit 
and um, that advocates for victims she yeah. like has speaking engagements along with her mother marianne like all over the you know united states she has a podcast herself and like she's just been so vocal and now at this point they've made two documentaries and one drama series about the story all with the support of the Brogan, Broberg, Broberg. Broberg sorry Broger, Broberg family and again I do think that there is like redemption in the fact that the parents totally and utterly said this story needs to be told amazing You're our right. part played yeah. in it has to be told and their family yeah. remained yeah. intact yeah amazing yeah and the parents remain married bob died away died away passed away in 2018 and i mean then when all of it started to gather immediate attention b resurfaced <gasps> out of oh, nowhere of course and tried to take them to court claiming that it wasn't accurate it wasn't accurate accurate. and the thing is there is no easy speaking out jan and marianne had to overcome huge backlash when they started telling their story absolutely i wonder how jan felt reappearing after all that time she said that she felt ready to face him Mm. and he said i mean there's a moment in court where he says something like i'm just trying to protect my reputation with all these lies i'm just trying to protect my reputation and she says well i'm just trying to protect people from someone like you yeah and um he was then under investigation again and at this point for another or for her case for her case but it also emerged that there was so a lot of people didn't believe the alien narrative mm-hmm. yeah didn't believe he had made her believe that and then that was when other people came forward <gasps> he and had the, the identical descriptions and um so he uh committed suicide beat it uh, before Wonderful. he could be held what a coward to account yeah um, for his actions and um Sick it's just the him. mad kidnapped twice maddest story Mad story. It's a mad story. Remember, Isn't it? The, Do you remember abducted in ago. plain sight? Yeah, yeah. So that was on Netflix a couple of years ago. And I remember watching it back then and being like, "What?" Every minute of that movie, you're like, "Stunningly oh, amazing." And like, the f- you know, like I don't know why Bob really gets to me I particularly. I'm because like, he was oh, God, because he was. Yeah, I mean, and but also trying just, to I think it is brave. I think yeah. it is their atonement mm. for their actions is being honest and just laying it all out there and being like we were manipulated but we obviously played a role here and you know Mm. and then um there is another documentary called friend of the family and they made that into like a mini series like a dramatized version and again like the whole family were in support of this which is like huge Mm. because even if you had been public about these events to have it made into a show a tv show where all of their flaws can be laid bare twisted around and made it work in some way yeah their perspective is getting yeah this exactly exactly yeah like you said incrementally things can happen until suddenly and i think john broberg's podcast is actually an amazing thing for anyone who has the residual shame of being abused as a child like literally i'm recommending it yeah it's, amazing it's an amazing piece yeah. of work she's an amazing woman 
Uh, amazing thank you thank well, you that's great that was great thank you thank you Cass thank you Cass and thank, thank you, you dear listener um, we have so many things else over on the hive should you wish for more maybe now today's the day it's gotta be about 300 back episodes oh there it's crazy point. including crazy, some absolute crazy. classics bangers over crazy there. crazy girls alright love you none of which you can remember If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.